When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode seven of our study in Exodus, and this is God's great rescue of his people. And I am really excited about today's talk because this is something that I think will benefit all of us. And so I think we'll just go ahead and get into it. We're going to read in Exodus. We left off yesterday in verse 10. Moses is before God. God told him to take off his sandals and Moses kneels down before God. God tells him through this burning bush, I'm going to send you into Egypt and you're going to rescue my people. How's that? So this is a great calling for Moses that for such a time as this, this one person that God created who was able to straddle both uh, Egypt and God's people, the Hebrews, Moses is the one person that God called to do this. And there's probably nobody else that, that could do this. I mean, truly, who else was raised in Pharaoh's court but's also a Hebrew? I mean, if Moses was looking around and saying, you know, who could do this? <laughs> um he would look at himself and say, well, perhaps I could do this. And there are times in life where God creates a perfect storm for whatever reason of people who are able to do certain things. And sometimes God speaks to these people through a burning bush. And sometimes these people look around and say, well, who else can do this? And if the answer is, well, nobody else can do this and God's positioned me to do this, then perhaps you should do it. That's that's kind of what happens in life. Um, and sometimes you may not want to do it. <laughs> I'm not sure Moses, Moses is probably perfectly fine living here in the land of Midian, being married and, and, and yet he is, he is called by God and he is very well suited by God to do these things. And so Even if Moses wasn't called by God in the burning bush, he certainly could have looked at his life and said, who else is going to be able to go into Pharaoh's court and say, let my people go. But God is going to be with Moses. Moses understands this because God's telling him. And um, so that kind of sets this up for today's um, discussion between Moses and God. So we'll just go ahead and start reading in verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? This is, this is a perfect question. Like, who am I? You want me, this little nobody, to go into Egypt and say, let my people go. Like, they're going to laugh me out of the court. Who am I? But verse 12, And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So this is just an interesting little dialogue between Moses and, And God, God calls Moses to go into Egypt and rescue his people out of, out of slavery in Egypt. 
But Moses has this incredibly great questions. Like, you want me to go to the Hebrews? You want me to go in their midst and tell them that God has sent me to rescue you out of Egypt? You really want me to do that? Like, who am I to the Hebrews? If you remember, the Hebrews see Moses as a member or of someone who lives in Pharaoh's court. Now, he did kill the the Egyptian slave driver that was beating up the Hebrews. But even the next day when he went back, he's like, well, who are you? I mean, like, are you going to tell us what to do? You are one of them. You're not one of us. And so when God goes and tells Moses to go into the Israelites to rescue them, Moses has this great point, you know, points out, wait a minute, kind of raising his hand and saying, wait a minute. How are they going to listen to me? What, what do I have to offer and what am I going to do? And God says, tell them that I am who I am. That's what I say to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, this is, this is a classic, classic question of leadership because leadership takes a couple things. First of all, at some level, leadership needs what I would call a calling from God. And obviously, like I am a pastor, I am called to the congregation I'm serving. They all got together and say, we want you to lead us. And so that's called a calling. But there's other ways to become a leader, right? You could, this is why people go to college oftentimes, is that they get all the education that supposedly is necessary to fulfill a position. But that's only to fulfill a position. What if you are going to lead people? What kind of education or experience do you go to get to lead people? Well, today, I think one of the degrees that people get often is an MBA, a Master's of Business Administration, because supposedly if you have the MBA, then you can go into an organization, you can lead people. This is kind of a leadership degree. If you go to an Ivy League college with these great initials after your name, then supposedly you are qualified to lead. None of those things necessarily make you qualified to lead. There are great, great leaders that have never gone to college, truly. And there are people who have gone to college who are horrible leaders. (laughs) Leadership is a deep-seated feeling that God has gifted you with enough um, resources to be able to lead people forward. And great leaders are not necessarily born. Some of them are. But some, most leaders, I would say 95% of leaders are people who have been in leadership positions little by little and they grow and they grow until finally they take on bigger and bigger and bigger leadership roles until finally, uh, you know, they've had the hard knocks of leadership. Leadership does not happen overnight. In the in is it Gore-Tex? In the Gore-Tex company, they don't really have people who are leaders per se. You know, you might call that a project manager. You might call it a division leader or what sort, whatever you may call it. Uh, in Gore-Tex company, you are a leader if you call a meeting and people show up at your meeting. That makes you a leader. <laughs> um, and the reason why I bring this is like I struggle in the Vail community um, through Christ Lutheran Vail Church and through some other partner agencies that we've partnered with. We've done some really amazing things. 
one of the ones that I've been involved in is the Colossal Fourth, where we've shot off fireworks and we've had people uh, have this block party at Del Lago Restaurant down by the golf course. If you're not familiar with that, there's a re there's a golf course here called Hacienda Del Lago and the Del Lago Golf Course. It's a really nice 18-hole golf course. I've never played it. <laughs> um, that you can go and you can play golf. And then at the driving range, we've partnered with the golf course to bring in people and have a 4th of, of July fireworks show. Well, how do you put something like that together? Like if you're gonna if you're gonna try to move in this direction, like who is who is who am I right to to call people together and say hey let's do this event, and um, so you what you do is you you have this idea you have this vision and you start meeting with people and trying to pull together and see who's in who's out and start doing it, and people get excited about you know great visions like that. Well, people get excited about all sorts of things. People get excited about we, we've done trunk or treats. Like let's let's call a group of people together and see if we can, uh, you know, hand out candy in the trunks of our car. All of this stuff is leadership. And one of the great places I believe where leadership can be incubated is a church, a church that that tries new things. Let's put it that way. Because if a church doesn't try new things, then they're just managing the things that have, you know, have always been done. But, and I've, I think I've said this before, probably not here in this Bible study, but I believe that churches should try new things, do new things, because the things that you've always done may not necessarily be the things that connect well with the community around you or the world around you. So the church should be an organization at some level in some areas that tries new things. And that requires leadership. And even, even uh, managing an, you know, particular ministries within an organization, that requires le leadership too. One of the great ministries that we have is MOPS in our organization. It's called Mothers of Preschoolers. And this is a, a, a group of ladies, usually between you know, 40 to 50 ladies that get together once a month. They get together for coffee and treats and then they listen to a speaker and the kids are watched after while the moms get together and then they break into small groups and they love on each other. I mean, it's an awesome, 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 awesome thing. Well, in order to do something like that, it takes leadership at all sorts of levels to kind of to, to create the events that are going to happen in this organization. And that creates leadership. It takes somebody at some level to say, this is what we're going to do. Calls together the people, you know, organizes the year and all that sort of thing. And, and we've had a, a phenomenally good MOPS program. We've had some phenomenally good leaders in our MOPS program. But it is an incubator for leadership. And moms already are great leaders because <laughs> they've got kids. And at some level... Uh, you know, trying to figure out how to raise a kid is probably the best leadership experience that you can possibly have. Like if you are a mom and you've raised a kid to, let's say, six years old, that to me is equivalent to an MBA. I, I honestly believe. I mean, there may be some technical things that you can learn in your MBA program about life cycle of corporations and profit and loss and all that sort of thing. But a woman or a mom that has raised a child from zero to six with all, you know, to what resources do I have? What resources do the child need? How do I manage, you know, manage these resources? 
what am I going to do? How am I going to, you know, figure out this child that, you know, they don't come with a handbook. <laughs> they just, they don't. And so you have to learn these things. So um, that's, you know, one of the great things is, is, uh, is if you're a mom, you, you know, you're learning, you're trying to figure out this child and to try to figure out these child's needs. And, you know, if you have more than one child and you have to manage that, and oh my goodness, my hat goes off to you if you've got like seven boys. <laughs> If you have, if you've raised seven boys and, you know, there have been women that I've met that have done this, right? Then you have, uh, you have a PhD in just about everything you can possibly imagine. You are, you are an incredible person. So when we get these moms together in mops, they really do have some phenomenally good leadership skills already because they're moms. And so I think that's one of our better ministries because they've just got some really incredible people running it. Um, but it doesn't have to be that. Any ministry learns leadership chops, right? And this is, this is, a church is just one of the great areas that you can learn leadership. In the business world, right, you can also learn, but it's, it's a little bit trickier. In the business world, you have to come up with a great idea and risk a lot to create some organization of which you're leading or you know you you go to school and you work your way up in leadership in a like in Raytheon or something like that. Um, but even then, one of the problems I have found this probably isn't Raytheon or maybe it is Raytheon I don't know is that there are people that can't do their job and so they get promoted. <laughs> have you seen this? It's called the Peter Principle, where people. You know, they don't they can't manage the work that they're doing. And so everybody looks, well, let's let's promote them. And maybe they can manage at that level and they keep getting promoted. And you end up sometimes in some organizations with people at the top that are completely clueless because they've never been able to do anything. Um, But they're good schmoozers. Right. And maybe good schmoozing is a leadership principle. I don't know. But anyway, um, it's it's tough to be a leader in a secular organization. But a church has a tremendous opportunity to create and build leadership and programs and do things and cultivate leadership that then could go out into the world and lead the world because the world needs good, strong leaders. And even at our, at our school that we have, one of the things that I've talked about periodically is wouldn't it be great if we could have some sort of leadership track for these kids you know, because leadership isn't just education or knowledge. It's how to deal with people. It's self-confidence. It's being able to stand up in front of people and speaking. I mean, there's lots of things that come with leadership that that I think schools today not, aren't necessarily talking about because they want not necessarily leaders. They want followers. And um, that's that's basically, if you look at most of the schools today, they teach to the test they teach to making sure we have great followers. I'm not sure that we teach to have great leaders, but we should because the world the world has tons of followers, but it has very, very few leaders. And uh, Moses is one of them. Moses is going to be a great, great leader. And he asks the question that we would all ask, like, who am I? How am I? But God says, say to them that I have sent you. So this is a calling from God to Moses. And the thing about a calling is that you cannot go against your calling. Even no matter how tough it gets. So that's one of the reasons why churches call pastors. Because there will be periods of time in a church where it is extremely, extremely difficult. 
where there's challenging conversations, challenging situations, things where you're not sure what the future is going to look like. And a lot of times in a secular world, when you get into those situations, you want to jump ship and maybe take a, take a job at another organization like that. But in a church, that can destroy a church. And so there's this thing called a call. And the call is basically, you know, we, we'll, we'll get through this. We'll stick it out. We'll try to figure it out together. And, and because it's not healthy to, you know, to constantly have, you know, new leadership all the time in a church. It's, it, it is very difficult for a church to be healthy in those situations. I mean, any time when, you, when it is time to change out leadership, I'm, I'm not saying that that isn't the case, but, but I would say 90 to 95% of the time, it's not necessarily leader. It's, it's, it's the organization and are we doing what we're being called to do and what changes need to be made and the leadership to make those changes. That's truly where it can be very, very difficult. Uh, and so... Uh, I don't know how much leadership is important. Le the world is going to rise or fall on leadership. And there have been great, great leaders in this world that I'm so grateful for that have done so many amazing, amazing things. And um, Moses is going to be one of those. Moses is a great leader. Who, who am I? And God says to him, tell him I am who I am has sent you. That is what you're to say to the Israelites. Now, what's interesting about I am who I am, Eye Asher Eye, is Hebrew, and it is, uh, let's see if I can find it here. Uh, it is an unusual, there are no tenses in the Hebrew language. It could be uh, I am who I am, or I was who I was, or I will be who I will be. Um, there is not really a present tense, apparently, in Hebrew. Um, I, I've studied Hebrew. I can read Hebrew um, somewhat, but I'm not a, I'm not a scholar in Hebrew. Um, but this term, aye asher aye, in Hebrew, is... Um, well, let me just, I want to read you some stuff that, about that because uh, it could be, if it's I am who I am, then it could be that God is avoiding Moses' question. He's like, I'm not going to answer. I'm just going to tell you I am who I am. I am who am or I am he who is is a statement of the nature of God. I just am. It, it could be a statement of God. Or I am is who I am. I am because I am uh, is a very is a scholarship debate uh, about who what what God is saying. And I'll just read you. This is Professor Christine Hayes um, who is talking about I am who I am, and this is what she says. Moses says, "May I say who sent me?" He asks for God's name. The Israelites will want to know. Who has sent me? And God replies with a sentence, aye asher aye. This is a first person sentence that can be translated, I am who I am, or perhaps I will be who I will be, or perhaps I cause to be what I cause to be. We really don't know, but it has something to do with being. So he asks who God is, and God says, I am who I am, or I will cause to be what I will cause to be. So Moses, wisely enough, converts that into a third-person formula. Okay, he will be who he will be. 
He is who he is. Yahweh Asher Yahweh. God's answer to the question of his name is this sentence, and Moses converts it from a first person to a third person sentence. He will be who he will be. He is who he is. He will cause to be. I think most people think now that he will cause to be. And that sentence gets shortened to Yahweh. This is the Bible's explanation for the name Yahweh. And as the personal name of God, some have argued that the name Yahweh expresses the quality of being, an active, dynamic being. This this God is one who brings things into being, whether it's a cosmos from chaos or now a new nation from a a band of runaway slaves. But it could well be that this is simply God's way of not answering Moses' question. We've seen how the Bible feels about revealing names. And the divine being who struggled and wrestled with Jacob sure didn't want to give his name. So I've often wondered, if we're to read this differently, who am I? I am who I am, and never your mind, and never you mind. The word possibly was aye asher, aye asher, meaning I am that I am that. Moses, in his ecstasy and bliss, wants to share this state with the people of Israel, and so it was a need to give a name to this experience, to this state. Hence, he gives the name that, and aye becomes Yahweh, the seed of duality. The creator being different from the creation was sown. The creator received the name Yahweh, and so a form, dimensions, and time of creation were naturally subsequent. So, This is just an interesting description of how I am who I am becomes Yahweh, and that is the name of God, the proper name of God, and how it all fits together. Um, Moses says, who shall I say, who shall I say send me? And God's like, it's me. They will know it's me. I'm the one. I am who I am. And that becomes the name of God. So uh, very, very interesting. And so Moses now has a call by God to go and rescue the people. And now he knows who it is that's giving him the call and he's already got a calling that he's going to go and do. And so Moses, this great leader, is gonna go forth. So I think we'll end it there. Uh, Why don't you join me in prayer? Dear God, thank you for Moses, for sending him to be a leader to the Israelites to rescue his people. God, I pray for leadership in this world through this pandemic. I pray for leadership in this world. Great leaders make this world a better place and great leaders in your kingdom make the world a better place because your leadership is based on grace and that's the, that's the best way to lead. So be with us until we meet again in Jesus' name, amen.